This is the Fertility Hour, where couples learn how to improve their fertility naturally. Join Charlene Lincoln as she interviews leading experts in the fields of natural fertility, holistic medicine, and preconception care. Fertility Hour is where you'll find evidence-based strategies, tips, and resources to help you when trying to conceive. And now, here's Charlene Lincoln. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Fertility Hour. And um, I'm really, really excited. I was just talking to our next guest and saying, I'm a super fan, I'll admit it. I mean, since he wrote his first book, Wheat Belly, uh, I was like, who is this amazing man? And I never thought I would interview him, but here I am. And um, he has a new book out, and we'll talk about it in a second. But uh, Dr. Davis, I'm going to have you talk a little bit about your background. But when I, um, when I saw the title of your book and I started reading it, the image that I had in my head was, think a couple years ago when the Cubs won the World Series and they are hoisted up and there's millions of people cheering. That's what I felt about you with this book. And I am not kidding you. I was that excited. I was like, oh my God, millions of people are going to read this book and go, thank you. Thank you for cutting through so much of the BS. And uh, I, I mean, I, I think I'm speaking for a lot of people. And then I imagined there's people on the periphery of the parade coming up and going, wait, what, what, why are you celebrating this guy? And, and we would tell them and they would say, that sounds dangerous. I don't know how to take care of myself. If I didn't, I wouldn't be in this quandary. And, and then there would be all these other doctors going, don't follow that advice. It's going to get you in a lot of trouble. Anyways, I'm a huge fan. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Charlene. Glad to be here. So anyways, tell, okay, you're a cardiologist, and um, I understand that you're, you're no longer practicing, correct? Right. Okay. You're a little busy with your, with your books and all your research, but... How did it come about that you wrote the book, uh, your first book, Wheat Belly? Well, it, it started with my efforts to put a stop to heart disease because uh, after my mom died of sudden cardiac death after a successful two-vessel angioplasty, and that's what I did for a living. I, I didn't do my mom's procedure, of course, but I, I lived in the cath lab, essentially, doing morning till night uh, heart procedures, putting in stents and doing atherectomies and angioplasty, all that kind of stuff. But my mom's death really drove home to me just what a useless and inadequate way it was to deal with heart disease through a procedure lab. So I put together the people, the money, et cetera, to bring uh, an electron beam tomography device. Now, this is going back about 20-some years. That was the device that was invented in South San Francisco, by the way. Mm. Uh, the old Imitron company that was, uh, is now gone. But we got this very costly device, and we started scanning people left and right in Milwaukee and finding tons of people with hidden heart disease who didn't know it. It'd be some, something like this. A woman says, well, I'm 52. My mom died of a heart attack at age 63. I want to know if it's in my future. I feel good. I exercise. I eat low fat. This is some years ago. Uh, and she comes in, her heart scan scores 380 or something like that. Normal is zero. Um, and we uh, back then, we gave her a, a diet, low fat, and take a statin drug, take aspirin, et cetera. She comes back a year later, scores 530 or something like that. There's a 25 to 30% per year increase in heart scan scores if you do nothing. 
and taking a statin drug and following a low-fat diet is doing nothing or worse. It's actually destructive. So uh, uh, people come back and their heart skin scores would be much higher and they'd be freaking out. So it became clear from my experience, we helped publish some of these data, statin drugs do not reverse those scores. They hardly have any impact at all. Low-fat diet has no effect. So what do you do with all these people, hundreds, mm. thousands of people freaking out on me with these, because if you don't stop it, they have a heart attack, they die. Uh, scary my, stuff. My unscrupulous colleagues, of which there are many, cardiology is one of the most corrupt specialties I've ever come across. A lot of them would take these patients to the cath lab and do preventive bypass surgery or stent implantation, which of course is malpractice, but it's commonly done. It's very commonly done to people who don't need it. Hmm. But their plaque is growing. So I, I, I sought out ways. The consensus opinion, by the way, by my colleagues, the so-called experts, was, well, if, if statin drugs have no effect on the progression of heart scan scores, don't scan them again. Just let them have a heart attack and then deal with it when it happens. No joke. That was consensus, published consensus opinion. And of course, you and I realized how awful that is. So I, I took, it took years to figure out what works here. And it was a lot of stumbling, some dead ends. But one, one of the things we did was I did a lot of what's called advanced lipoprotein testing. And a lot of this research came from uh, UC Berkeley, by the way. Um, and it was clear that the dominant abnormality among many abnormalities that causes these heart scan scores and heart disease and heart attack was an excess of small LDL particles, mm -hmm. not high cholesterol. High cholesterol, I call the kindergarten version of heart disease causation. It's not, that's ridiculous. High, high cholesterol is an absurd idea. It's outdated. It should have been scratched off the list 40 years ago, but because it makes so much money for big pharma, mm -hmm. it, uh, most of my colleagues still think that cholesterol, like LDL cholesterol, total cholesterol, is causes in heart disease. It is not. LDL particles are a contributor, however. And by, by far and away, the most dominant ab abnormal lipoprotein pattern is an excess of small LDL particles, oxidation and glycation-prone LDL particles that persist five to seven days in the bloodstream, unlike large LDL particles provoked by consumption of fat, which lasts about 24 hours. Well, what food? So I asked first simply, all these people with these terrible heart scan scores, freaking out, facing heart disease risk, have oodles of small LDL particles. What do you do? What foods cause small LDL particles? And this is a lot of this data came from UC Berkeley. Uh, grains and sugars. Mm. So I took grains and sugars out of people's diets for the purposes, purpose of reducing small LDL cholesterol and blood sugar. And people would do that. And small LDL particles would drop, if you do an NMR type of lipoprotein analysis, it dropped from like 2,000 nanomoles per liter, number of particles per, per volume, to zero, or something like that. It would be absolutely obliterated. But, and so that alone was very instructive, and it was the first step in the path to reversing heart disease, by the way, which I did all the time. It was, it's very easy to do. Uh, you don't hear that, though, of course, because you can't build an $80 million wing on your hospital for free. So, um, uh, but people came back to me and said, well, you didn't tell me that I would lose 57 pounds 
I, I, why, why didn't you tell me I, I wouldn't need insulin in my diabetes drugs anymore? My rheumatoid arthritis is now gone. I have full flexibility in my hands with no drugs. My acid reflux, irritable bowel syndrome, my migraine headaches, eczema, seborrhea, psoriasis, etc., are gone. Holy <laughs> and smokes. that's when I started asking yeah. questions like, well, why? Why would removing the food that all official providers of dietary advice urge us to make the dominant component of that, why would removing it yield these unexpected, extravagant, earth-shattering type of changes in health. And that's what led me down the wheat belly path. Wow. I mean, when you wrote the book, I mean, I guess you saw enough evidence, but did you think this is going to change people's lives? Like this is going to be a phenomenon that's going to take off. Like people, I mean, did you, did you have some skepticism? Like people are pretty addicted to their grains, you know, they're kind of ingrained, excuse the pun, <laughs> in our culture. You know, my husband's Croatian, like to not have a meal with bread, I mean, that's kind of a sin, I think. So it's like, did you feel like, oh, people are going to just embrace this? Because people embraced it, right? I mean, there's, it became Yeah, it's in 44 huge. countries, several billion copies have been sold and people are doing it. Uh, People come at this for a variety of reasons. Uh, they come at it for weight loss, so they do it for that reason. A lot of them do it because they have autoimmune diseases or bowel issues or other health issues. So people start this for a variety of different reasons, but I think most people are surprised at the power of this lifestyle. So some, if, if Mary Jane does this because she wants to drop from a size 24 to a size 4 again, uh, but then her uh, lupus disappears and her mm. triglycerides drop to the floor and her pre-diabetes is now gone and uh, her leg swelling, her ankle edema is now gone and her facial redness, her severity is now gone <laughs> and her hair gets thicker and she looks 20, 10 or 20 years younger. That's when they begin to embrace and realize this is not just about weight loss or gluten sensitivity. Mm -hmm. This is about a transformation in health. But there is pushback, obviously. There are lots of people, one, who are addicted and as, as you point out, and, and, and I mean that literally because the gliadin protein of wheat uh, is degraded to uh, opioid peptides and it causes an opioid addiction syndrome. And that's why uh, about half the people who do, who go wheat grain free have an opioid um, withdrawal process. It lasts about five to seven days, nausea, headache, um, depression, fatigue. Uh, but then people feel wonderful. So it is, it is literally addictive, not figuratively, literally addictive. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are, are kind of intuitively aware of that. I've had, I used to have people sobbing in my office when I told them, hey, you know, you've got 2,400 nanomoles, we get sky high small LDL particles and you have heart disease. If you want to get rid of it, you've got to do this. We go banish all wheat and grains. And they'd sob and they'd be emotional because mm -hmm. they knew within a few hours of not having their last, or, or a, a hit of grains, they would start getting shaky and angry and anxious and have, and it's very tumultuous, it's very unpleasant for a lot of people. So a lot of people knew this, but you know, that's why I had to tell people you're going to have a withdrawal syndrome because they, a lot of people will say, well, I feel so awful. It means my body's telling me I need grains. <laughs> I no need that bread. Yeah. Yeah. No different than alcohol withdrawal or tobacco, mm -hmm. nicotine, et cetera. Same kind of process. Yeah. 
Oh, so it's good to prepare someone because I, my, my husband, I was like, you know, you really have to listen to this. And he came back kind of agitated. He goes, well, he made some good points, but I'm not going to get extreme. I said, are you going to do it for 10 days? Well, yes, I am. But he's like, but you know, I'm, I'm not giving it up completely. Like you could tell his defenses were up, but um, it's just, you make such strong points. It's, sort of hard to argue it and um most people you know what i think was so smart i, I think i read somewhere that you go you know if you're talking if you're making a, a book about eliminating wheat kind of boring but if you talk about improving sex drive energy weight loss changing the way the face looks you know and those before and after pictures i mean we're driven a lot of us are driven more by vanity than our own internal health and whatever angle you need to do, right? But that's very true. I used to talk about heart disease a lot, obviously. Yeah. And heart scans and how to reverse heart scan scores. And Charlene, no one wanted to hear it. They're all scared of talking about heart disease or cancer or dementia, those kinds of things. So when I made this a more provocative message by highlighting that, uh, well, yeah, you lose a bunch of weight. You look 10, 20 years younger. And, and oh, by the way, um, uh, it, it, it's beneficial for heart disease as well. <laughs> right. Just as a, just kind of as a side thing, a side, you know, <laughs> that's how you get people. You know, people barrage with so many messages now, yeah. including a whole confusing array of, of competing dietary. Uh, I mean, there are people who still think that, you know, vegetarianism, veganism is good for you or that right. only fruit is good for you or whatever, you know? So there's a lot of competing messages out there. And there's, I mean, diet and nutrition, I mean, it is a moving target, right? I mean, who's to say, and I'm playing a purely devil's advocate, because go back to the 80s, whatever they were preaching back then, it sounded so solid. It sounded <laughs> so solid. It sounded bulletproof. So who's to say in 10 years, we go, good God, I gave up all my grains. And that was craziness, you know, because Dr. William Davis convinced us that this was the right thing to do and now look at us i mean so i mean what's the difference between all these diets in the past and what you're you know preaching now well in 40 or 50 years i think we've learned a lot of lessons and we learned that uh trying to find diet for instance by cholesterol that's what a lot of the dietary message is based on right mm -hmm. uh, replace saturated fat and total fat with healthy whole grains i mean a lot so a lot of the uh, rationale for, for, for the diet was flawed to begin with. A lot of it's based on uh, cholesterol testing. So that, that alone is a very flawed base to, to, to make judgments about diet. There's also this idea uh, that there's, you know, it's not nutrition science. I call it nutrition fairy tales. Uh, in nutrition, it's one of the, it's one of the, uh, the areas of uh, investigation that is plagued by flawed logic. Horrible logic. One example. If you replace something bad for you with something less bad for you, and there's an apparent benefit, a whole bunch of less bad thing must therefore be good. You'll see this over and over and over. Mm. In the case of grains, if we replace white flour products with whole grains, and there's an apparent benefit, and there is, Charlene, there's less type 2 diabetes, less weight gain, less heart disease, less colon cancer. That's true. Mm -hmm. Conclusion, in the, in the brand of thinking followed by nutrition people, a whole bunch of healthy whole grains must therefore be good. Well, what if we thought about that from a second? No, no, hang on. What if we took the grains out? What happens then? 
And those studies, there's tons of them. Uh, that's when you don't get less type 2 diabetes. You get reversal of type 2 diabetes. You get reversal of heart disease. You get reversal of autoimmune diseases, et cetera. And this is not my speculation. There's lots and lots of data to bear this out. So, but you'll see this. So, replace high glycemic index foods with low glycemic index foods, and there's mm -hmm. an apparent benefit. That's true. A whole bunch of low glycemic index foods, different. that's ridiculous because low glycemic index foods still cause insulin resistance, diabetes, visceral fat accumulation, heart disease, dementia, et cetera. So uh, uh, you'll see this over and over and over again uh, in nutrition, the flawed logic of nutrition. The Harvard School of Public Health is responsible for a lot of this misinformation because they use very deeply flawed observational studies. And you may know that observational studies are very, very flawed. Observational studies, for instance, was the kind of study used to prove that Premarin was good for ladies, mm -hmm. right? So we know that the observational data suggest that women who took Premarin had less endometrial cancer, breast cancer, heart disease. Then the blinded prospective studies where the person giving you the drug didn't know what it was and the person receiving the drug didn't know what it was and then they they were watched for five years, those data, like the HERS and Women's Health Initiative trial, showed Premarin increased heart attacks, increased endometrial cancer, increased breast cancer, increased dementia. In other words, the genuine, clean, clinical prospective trial showed the exact opposite of the observational data. This happens over and over and over again. The observational data is just like having no data at all, or worse, because it sometimes is often misleading. And much of the data in nutrition is observational data coupled with these false premises like we're going to base our diet on cholesterol testing. So now the cholesterol testing is so miserably out, out of date, yet it's it, no, it, there's very little conversation about lipoprotein testing and other means of looking at cardiovascular risk and other metabolic markers because there's not a lot of money to be made. The statin drug industry continues to push this idea that high cholesterol is a problem. High cholesterol is not a problem. Th there are other things that cause heart disease. So one of the greatest tragedies of the statin debacle mm -hmm. is that it takes attention away from the true causes of heart disease. But guess who makes a killing by failing to prevent heart disease? The healthcare system. So it, this, is, this led to the, you know, the, my, my writing undoctored book, that uh, I saw people doing these kinds of things on the wheat belly programs. And it wasn't just about diet, by the way. So diet's a big, big part of what we all do. But as you know, there's more to health than diet. You've got to address other factors. Cultivation of bowel flora, for instance, very, very important. But I saw people, I saw this happen, Charlene. People would say to the doctor, I'm gonna do this wheat belly thing. And the doctor says, that's stupid. It's gonna cause a heart attack. You're gonna to have to take Lipitor, blah, 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 right? Right. So the, so the person does it on their own. And they lose 73 pounds, they get rid of their acid reflux, their skin rashes, their rheumatoid arthritis, uh, their triglycerides drop, their HDL goes sky high, their blood sugars drop, insulin drop. They look and feel better than they have in years. They go back to the doctor, the doctor says, oh, I don't know what you're doing, I, just do what you're doing. In other words, people were succeeding in a huge way across hundreds of health conditions despite the bumbling of their doctors. And I saw doctors try to persuade people to stop doing it. So one of the, I'll tell you a quick story. One of the cases that made me write the original Wheat Belly book was a woman who came to me, who was 38 years old, school teacher. 
and she had ulcerative colitis. She came to me for palpitations, very relatively trivial issue. But she's, she, uh, uh, I'm talking to her, she's always like this, doubled over in pain. I said, no, what, what's wrong? And she said, well, my ulcerative colitis is flaring. It's, I've had it for 12 years. I'm on one of the IV biologics uh, and two oral drugs. And I, I, I have diarrhea all the time and I hemorrhage. I have to get transfusions every two or three months. And because nothing's working, my gastroenterologist is gonna schedule me for uh, a, col a colectomy, colon removal with an ileostomy bag, 38 years old. Can you teacher. imagine? Oh my God. So I told, I said, listen, you're here for your palpitations. So I didn't really get into a diet conversation with you. Let me tell you what I'm seeing in other people. So I told her about, you know, wheat grain lemon. She said, why? Why would I do that? They biopsied me twice for celiac disease. They, they ran the blood test. I don't have celiac disease. I said, I understand that. This is not about celiac disease. So I, what did you have to lose? So she, she does it. She said, after five days, all the bleeding, diarrhea, uh, and pain stopped. She felt so good after two weeks, no pain, everything gone. She stopped one of her drugs. A few weeks later, stopped another drug. Over a long period, stopped third drug. She goes back to her gastroenterologist, and, and she lost 38 pounds. I didn't even tell her. Charlene didn't tell her she'd lose weight. She lost 38 pounds by accident. <laughs> she goes back to her gastroenterologist, who had an office across the street from me. And um, he says, uh, oh, eh, it's a coincidence. Go oh back God. to what you were doing. So cure of ulcerative colitis, losing 38 pounds, looking and feeling better than she had in 20 years was a coincidence to him. And that's what showed me that people need to do this on their own. I mean, it's wonderful for the docs who embrace this and realize the power of this because they've seen the results. But uh, I tell people, don't wait for your doctor to become educated because uh, the ones who listen to your, 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 your broadcast, of course, are the educated ones. But the ones who don't listen to these kinds of things, don't participate in, the, in these conversations, you know, John Q. Primary Care and cardiologists and gastroenterologists, uh, these are the people who poke fun at any insights into nutrition, who rely on a dietitian for dietary wisdom, who rely on big pharma to educate them about cholesterol testing and cholesterol drugs, and rely on the medical device industry to educate them about procedures. Those are the people who I poke fun at and tell their patients, don't wait for your doctor to be educated because he won't be educated. It's highly unlikely that it'll happen in the near future. Do it on your own and you can achieve things. The health you achieve doing this on your own is far better than the health you achieve by a handful of prescriptions and procedures. Um, amen. I, I, I agree with you 100%. And I really think, I mean, we have to educate the masses because there's some people who are just kind of new to this world. They're going to try to have a conversation with their doctor because they still do trust that their doctor knows a lot more than them. And they're going to get this cynical kind of, you know, I mean, you're spending 15 minutes with your doctor. How much feedback can he really give you? He doesn't know what the heck you're talking about. He's going to give you a blank stare, kind of brush you off. And then, um, you know, if you're not educated enough about this, that might be enough to kind of like take the wind out of your sails, you know? So it's like, you really need to educate yourself and go, okay, maybe I am smarter than my doctor, not in maybe his, in, in everything, but like I said, you know, I have friends who go, well, I'm going to talk to my doctor about that, some nutritional advice. And I think, and I just silently say in my head, well, 
what the hell is he going to say? I mean, he doesn't know or she doesn't know. I mean, they know what they know and good luck with that, you know, or, or they go, oh, my doctor says my tests look really great. Do you know how outdated those tests are and those reference ranges? I, I don't know if that should give you so much peace of mind, but this is all in my head. I'm, I'm quite cynical about the, um, the big medical mafia. I mean, but, but what about you and being, I mean, I guess you're not practicing anymore. I mean, you're kind of talking a lot of smack talk about this whole <laughs> organization. <laughs> um, I mean, do you have colleagues going, hey, I kind of, you know, I like what you're doing here and I get it. I mean, they're just, I mean, it's their career and that's what they're, you know, they've invested their whole lifetime in. So it's sort of hard to change gears. Like you were saying, there's not a lot of money in switching out of this whole um, game, is there? If you were to, I'm going to, I'm going to prescribe you supplements instead and talk to you about vitamin D and let's get you off those statin drugs. I mean... I, I have lots of colleagues I still talk to, and I'll tell you what the overwhelming impression is. You know, well, they say this. Um, well, I, I have to do, I have to practice the way they tell me mm. because of quality control measures, certification uh, by my um, accrediting agency, uh, maintaining privileges at a hospital. They're forced to behave in a certain way. You know, if, if you don't see patients every few minutes, if you don't hand out lots and lots of statin drug prescriptions and have your patients on aspirin and beta blockers, et cetera, th there are standards and you'll, they'll lose their job. I've seen docs lose their mm. job because they started to do things the way they thought they should be done. Yeah. And so I, I, I hear this all the time. I practice this way because I have to, I don't want to, and I'm going to do this and save up my money and retire, get the hell out of this system. Because I think there is widespread appreciation that the system is corrupt. Now, and and Charlotte, I, I truly mean that. The medical, American healthcare system is incredibly corrupt. It is built on profit, profit-seeking behaviors. It has nothing to do with health. If you get healthy from your doctor, it's an accident. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a coincidence. Um, yeah. But the, you know, that, that sounds all very cynical. But I think it's actually very positive because in this day and age of rapid dissemination of information and collaboration, that's what you and I are doing. We're collaborating. We're collaborating with the, your listeners. People are hearing these kinds of things and realizing, you know what? Uh, I don't really have to take a statin drug. I don't need an injectable drug for my cholesterol. I don't need to go through all this screening nonsense because all those are, that's advice set up to profit the medical system. It's not set up for your health. So much what, uh, doctors tell people, hospitals tell people, a drug, big pharma tells people, et cetera, is not designed to help people. It's designed to make money. The great thing is real health is achievable on your own. You don't need a doctor to take vitamin D. People say, well, you know, ask your doctor about vitamin D. He doesn't know anything about vitamin D. Mm -hmm. you know, or he'll say something really stupid. Like here's a prescription for D2. Mm -hmm. inferior form, probably at, a, at an inadequate dose, or as you, as you point out, the outdated reference range. They'll say, well, your, your 25-hydroxy vitamin D level is 32. It's fine, even though that level is associated with profound deficiency sufficient to lead to cancers, autoimmune diseases, heart disease, <laughs> insulin resistance, etc. So I tell people, don't pay attention to your doctor. Find the answers on your own from benign guidance, from benign sources that provide some guidance. Uh, you have to be selective. It is the Wild West in some ways for information. 
But uh, uh, in my experience, Charlene, people can achieve, um, I'm sure in your experience, people can achieve extraordinary. I mean, if you ask the American Diabetes Association, is there a way to get rid of type 2 diabetes? They say, no, no. You're stuck on, on oral drugs, then injectable drugs, and finally insulin. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a type 2 diabetic 25 years ago. I now have perfect blood sugars on nothing. That is no prescription drug. That's widely like, believed. I just had a conversation widely. about, yeah, 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 sadly believed. And you know that type 2 diabetes is easy as heck to get rid of. It's yeah. easy as heck to get rid well, of. Well, if people are willing to make those changes, sometimes people yes. don't understand what that is. Okay, uh, we didn't even say the title of your newest book that's coming out in May in, in its full entirety, Undoctored, Why Healthcare Has Failed You and How You Can Become Smarter Than Your Doctor. Now, I mean, that title is is the perfect title. It, it'll just like stop people as well. I don't know if, sadly, there's not that many bookstores left, but if it was on the bookshelves, you go, screech, what, what's that? Um, this is the thing that, I, there, there's a couple things that come up for me. One is um, people are on a heap of medication and they say, never stop a medication on your own. That could be dangerous. You always have to consult with your doctor. So say someone's getting healthier and they go, maybe I need to talk to my doctor about getting off. Let's example, um, say uh, statin drugs. I mean, how much cooperation are you going to get from your doctors to get off X, Y, and Z medications? Um, it's, then, uh -huh. it's gotten easier Though lots of my colleagues still take the paternalistic, I'm the doctor, you're the patient, shut up and do what I tell you, attitude, that still prevails a lot. Yeah. But there's a growing number of docs who say they get, they're getting so much pushback now because I think people are smartening up. They're realizing that the healthcare system is corrupt. It's there to rob you. It's taking 18% of GDP and not making people healthy. It's $3 trillion a year and uh, American health is horrible. Health is deteriorating. So this, this money is not being well spent. It's not going to making, I mean, you'd think $3 trillion would make a fabulously healthy population. Oh yeah, not. that would be glowing. I know what's going on. And it's, yeah. it's worse here. You know, people often say American healthcare is the best in the world. That's not true. Trauma not care, trauma care. Can, can, can we get a thumbs up for trauma care? That's what <laughs> I always tell people. Like if you're in a traumatic accident, we're, I mean, aren't we like the best in the world? I mean, we don't have to go into it, but like, I think that's what I think about as American healthcare, like you get in a car accident or something. Um, I think I want to be here for that. If we looked at uh, value for the dollar. Yeah. Cost Ooh. effectiveness. Well, oh, okay. I'm not talking that. Yeah. If we, if, if with all conventional measures of healthcare quality. Yeah. Uh, you um, among Western countries, the U.S. ranks last or near last. So this this idea that we are a glowing, shining example of great healthcare is complete nonsense. That's oh, yeah. not better huh. in Sweden. It's better in Canada. It's better in. They have other issues, access to some degree, but they don't have the same kind of. And no one goes bankrupt from a, a hospitalization in those countries either. Mm -hmm. um, now, there are commonalities. Big Pharma operates in all those countries, and Big Pharma is a corrupt enterprise also. Uh, but it's worse here. You know, we pay over twice as much for drugs here than elsewhere. So uh, uh, Americans are being exploited by Big Pharma, the medical device industry, the hospital industry, and doctors. Mm -hmm. And so all I'm trying to do is open people's eyes to this idea that your doctor is not a benign, uh, 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 charitable person. More than likely, 
Now, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing. There are great docs in functional medicine, integrative health, chiropractors. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about mainstream John Q primary care and the specialists, the people who think, the ophthalmologists who think that doing injections into the eye at 1000 to $2,000 a pop several times a day, that does nothing. They think that's good, and they, they want to continue to do it. It's a, it's a cocaine. I know a lot of my colleagues who regard this that kind of uh, income as cocaine. They can't stop doing the endoscopies and colonoscopies. They can't stop doing the heart catheterization because it pays so well. Because I'm, I'm from that world, and I was privy to all the locker room conversations and boardroom sure. meetings where these things were talked about openly. What? Okay, I'm, I'm kind of going... Oh gosh, what was I going to ask you about? Because I I had a question about Balfour and then we went on another thing. Oh, but talking about big pharma, um, I was listening to another interview that you did and you were talking about manipulation of data. And I just want you to touch upon that just to kind of um, solidify that in people's minds because people are going to go, well, but the FDA tests all these drugs, <laughs> right? Someone was just saying that to me the other day. Oh, I'll, I'd only use pharmaceuticals from America because the FDA tests it. And, that, and my, my cynical mind was also saying like, that does not give me a level of comfort, but if that helps you. But anyway, so, talking about manipulation of data, I thought that was really interesting and, this and is scary. Not, yeah, this is, as you know, this is not just my argument. It's, it's widely known among people who look at such things that if, if big pharma pays for a study, it almost always comes out in favor of the drug. I mean, imagine you go to a car dealership and this, the, the salesman says to you, Charlene, um, we sell Ford and Ford makes the best car in America. And I'm not picking on Ford, just this crazy example. Sure. They, well, how do you know that? The salesman says, well, we did a study, compared Ford to Toyota and GM. And you say, well, who paid for the study? And he says, well, Ford did. Well, you realize it's, it's nothing more than marketing. Yet the bulk of data, almost all data supporting use of, of drugs, like statin drugs, or biologics is paid for by the drug industry. And negative studies are almost never published. That's becoming less true, but it still is very true. So the, the classic example is, of course, uh, antidepressant drugs. The vast majority of negative outcome studies are never see the light of day. Uh, uh, so that, that we have a big problem that a lot of the science behind uh, drug use and, and devices too, by the way, and that, by the, by the way, the world of medical devices is bigger than big pharma, but all the data that support those kinds of products were paid, are really little more than marketing. Yet my colleagues take that uh, hook, line, and sinker and put it to use. There's, there's many other problems. There's in, uh, 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 manipulation of data. So there's something called relative risk, for instance. So doctors often tell patients, you should take Lipitor because it reduces heart attack risk by 36%. Is that true? No. <laughs> Best data, 1%. 1% reduction, and even that's in question. But how'd they get that 36%? Mm -hmm. Well, they manipulated data in a way called relative risk, which is a way to, to inflate your results dramatically. It's, it's nonsense. So 1% became 36% because a 1% reduction in heart attack risk doesn't make any headlines. But a 36% reduction does make headlines. Unfortunately, the doctor and the patient here, of 100 people who are destined to have a heart attack, 36 uh, uh, won't. But, but that's what the data said. The data says nothing of the sort. And you'll see these kinds of data manipulations all the time in the, the data from big pharma and the medical device industry. So we had this 
deeply flawed body of evidence to support the way medicine is practiced. Most of it, nothing more than marketing, but much of it designed to make maximum revenue return. Mm. I, I've never seen, I mean, so much of healthcare is driven by fear, but I've never seen fear used so effectively um, as they do with statin drugs because people literally feel like they're going to get off um, Lipitor or a statin drug and they're going to stroke out. I mean, that's the <laughs> fear, right? Yes. And, and, and you could like talk till you're blue in the face at them, but that's, I mean, they've had that ingrained, especially it, it seems like it's rare to meet anyone in America who's over 65 who isn't on some type of cholesterol-lowering drug. I mean, it's just kind of given out as a, a given of age. Um, and that's, oh, God. I, uh, well, I think that's what, why what you're doing is so important. That's why what your listeners uh, hope gain from this, that we need to collaborate. Because mm -hmm. you and I don't have $6 billion to run direct consumer ads on TV and do all yeah. the fancy, glitzy, expensive things that uh, industry does. The you see the hospital ads, caring, experts. No. no it no. looks so beautiful and real. Oh, this is what I was going to bring up. Um, I was at a medical conference and they were saying one of the number one reasons why big pharma advertises on stations like NBC and all the major networks is one, I, I guess, to advertise their drug, but 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 the majority of the reason is if they ever went through big lawsuits, it would never show up on those networks because I mean, they're multi-million dollar advertisers. I mean, how much are they paying for those ads? Um, which I don't know for certain, but it sort of makes sense, you know? A absolutely, Charlene. So it's approaching $6 billion a year and it's growing uh, direct consumer drug ads on TV and in print media. Mm -hmm. And what I've see, seen happen is as direct consumer drug ads now dominate. I mean, every, every other commercial now is a drug ad. Yeah. Um, as direct consumer drug advertising begins to dominate ad dollars, the major networks, cable TV and m most print media now no longer air any kind of message that could be antagonistic to their advertisers. Right. So right. you'll see almost no, you know, if you Google ABC healthcare reporting, you see the last investigative report was John Stossel's report in 2007. On what? On Vioxx or something? Or no, that was uh, even, it was after that. The finance of healthcare. I oh, I see. Right. Years ago. <laughs> You'll see that there's almost, there's talk about healthcare politics, but there's no talk about why uh, you're charged $84,000 for one vial of 120 tablets of Harvoni or Savaldi. There's almost no mention how bankruptcies occur left and right after a single hospitalization. There's no talk of these things at all because it antagonizes big pharma and their advertising uh, uh, dollars. And so that's why it makes it so important to support what you're doing, other podcasters, uh, bloggers, authors, because it's not going to come from the doctor. It's not going to come from the hospital. It's mm -hmm. not going to come from TV. It's got to come. So I'm very grateful. We now have all the varied uh, venues of social media to talk about these things. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a, a, a rebelling against the oppressive dictator. Yeah. That's what it's, healthcare is. Okay, so 
let's talk about, okay, so the book's coming out in May, and then there's also a website. What What is the Undoctored website um, going to contain? Like, when we go there, are we going to meet other communities of like-minded people? Are we going to be able to share information? Because I know you have a big vision for this. There's an Undoctored blog. Uh, uh, there's also an Undoctored Inner Circle, which is a paid membership site, because mm -hmm. one of the do there is we meet weekly just like this so I did this last night we had about 25 30 people from all over the world and, and they we talk about these kinds of things um, there's also of course wheat belly uh, properties wheat belly blog uh, we play Facebook page on doctor Facebook page you know if you google any of this stuff <laughs> you can't avoid it. it's everywhere uh, but there's lots of opportunity to share in the information you could do the books of course too uh, and I, 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 uh, uh, the books are more prescriptive they tell you kind of how to manage um, various facets of your health. Mm -hmm. By the way, reasons I call it undoctored um, is I think what you what you mentioned early on was um, my colleagues think we're telling people to diagnose themselves and treat themselves, mm -hmm. and that's not what we're saying. What I'm saying is follow a simple menu: eat no wheat or grains, no sugar, correct vitamin D, get your fish oil squared away at the right dose get a, uh, an absorbable form of magnesium to replace the magnesium you, that's lost in water filtration, et cetera. Get uh, iodine and get your thyroid optimized and cultivate bowel flora. That's it. And if, if there's more you can do in health, of course, but just do those six things. And whether you were labeled with rheumatoid arthritis or type two diabetes or acid reflux or IBS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, or whatever, the overwhelming likelihood is you won't have it anymore within a few days to months. And so that's why I call it undoctored because people don't need their doctor to tell them this is stupid. They can do it on their own and be freed of those conditions, medications for those conditions. And truly, I mean this truly, and look and feel 10, 20 years younger. It happens all the time. By the way, we post those pictures on our Facebook pages and you can, people can see. This mm -hmm. is a common comment. You're finding a mother and daughter. And right. They look, so, they look so radically different. Yeah, yeah right. You're like, that's the same person? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and you had some health issues at some point, didn't you? I mean, you were talking about type 2 diabetes, but... Uh, Charlotte, I just no doubt I stumbled and bumbled my way through all this too. Yes, I gave myself type 2 diabetes when I was doing interventional cardiology 25 years ago. I, was, I went on a low-fat vegetarian diet because I, I heard Dr. Dean Ornish from your neighborhood talk. <laughs> and I did his program. And it made me type 2 diabetic despite jogging five, six, seven miles a day. Wow. Uh, so I, it took me a while to get rid of the diabetes and figure this all out. Yeah. But yeah, I've had a lot of problems. I had triglycerides of 350, HDL cholesterol of 27. I had high blood pressure. I, I had lots. I had IBS. I had lots of these things but I don't have them anymore uh, by eating lots of fat, uh, eating no grains, eating no sugars, and correcting those, that list of things, vitamin D, fish oil, et cetera. It's really very simple. And you do not need a doctor to tell you you're an idiot for doing these things. Do, do, in the book, because I, um, I was looking at some of the YouTube comments, like people were talking about, um, like what brand of fish oils do you recommend? Do you, do you go into recommending brands or? Um... Uh, and, and then I want to ask you about bowel flora. Like, how does one, you know, um, take care of their bowel flora? You know, fish oil has gotten a lot better 
in the 20 some years since I've been fussing with it. Mm-hmm. Back, back 20 years ago, you, I'd say most fish oil was, was garbage. It was highly oxidized. It smelled like someone took a, a bowel movement in it. It was rotten. It was oxidized, mm-hmm. horrible stuff. Rancid, uh-huh. Rancid, especially the stuff you bought in the drugstores. Uh, fish oil has improved a lot. The means of, of purification, some of the best manufacturers, for instance, um, uh, purify their, their fish oil in a nitrogen gas environment. So there's no oxidation from oxygen. So they've gotten a lot better. So there's, there's several good brands now like Nordic Naturals, Ascenta, um, Now, um, Carlson, some mm. very good. Uh, Those are all easily found on Amazon or health food stores and they're all readily yeah. available. And a real good test is just smell the stuff. If it smells like fish, mm-hmm. it's not good. It's just, well, it's just smell. Mostly it's in the capsule. I mean, a lot of people get it in the capsule, but okay. Oh, like open yeah. a capsule and smell it. Gotcha. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. With bowel flora, yeah. I, I tell you, Sean, before we started fussing with bowel flora, I, I, I recognize the huge power of, of getting bowel flora right and understanding just how awful the status of bowel flora is in this country. We have decimated bowel flora probably from a variety of causes, intermittent antibiotics, antibiotics in dairy and in foods, herbicides, pesticide residues, chlorinated, fluoridated water, BPA, on and on and on. And we have ruined our bowel flora. Um, But we're seeing spectacular results. One of the more recent lessons is, I, I did not appreciate this for a long time, just how prevalent small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is, SIBO. Mm hmm this is, this is far worse than I ever thought it was. But like being undoctored, once you recognize this and you take the steps to correct it, not easy, by the way, but take the steps to correct it, then you, your fibromyalgia goes away. Your psoriasis goes away. Your, you have greater power over uh, autoimmune diseases, weight loss, depression, neurological issues. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm astounded as I'm sure you've been, at the number of diseases now that can be blamed on bad bowel flora, like Parkinsonism and Lou Gehrig's disease, of course, type 2 diabetes. So uh, cultivating bowel flora is a critical uh, issue to undertake. I didn't even, I I never made those connections. I mean, I feel like bowel flora is important for overall health, so it wouldn't matter the condition, but I never made those links with Lou Gehrig's or Parkinson's or, I, I never heard that. Uh, at all, but uh, interesting. Give us an example of one, how, how one, um, what's the, what's the word? <laughs> Proliferates or bowel flora? Like what do you do? Enema implants with pro- probiotics or what, what's the, um, what's the advice there? You know, I, I think the easiest way to look at it, Charlene, is I, I tell people to look at bowel flora like your backyard garden in springtime. Okay. So if it's springtime, um, it's snowing here, but <laughs> it's supposed to be right. springtime. But it, if it were warm, I'd go out and back, I'd clear a space, I'd pick out the stones and the twigs, then I'd prepare this. So I prepare the soil, then I plant seeds, then over the growing season, I water and fertilize it, right? That's how you have a garden. And you mm-hmm. have, after three months or whatever, you have cucumbers and tomatoes and zucchini. Same thing with ball floor. Prepare the soil, remove things that disrupt it. Not sticks and stones, of course, but chlorinated water, herbicide, pesticide-laden food, minimize exposure to antibiotics, uh, avoid emulsifiers like uh, polysorbate 80 and carrageenan because they disrupt mucus lining and change bowel flora. So prepare the soil, 
plant the seed. The seeds are high potency multi-species probiotics and plenty of fermented foods mm-hmm. like kombucha and kimchi and kefirs and yogurts and fermented veggies. And a lot of that you can do on your own. It's very easy to, I have a whole bunch of fermented veggies right on my uh, counter right now. Um, they're so good. I mean, they're, and they're so, delicious. Exactly. Yes, they're delicious. And, and then the water and fertilizer is prebiotic fibers. Uh, those are things like raw white potatoes, green unripe bananas, inulin, legumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are fibers that you can't digest. You can ingest them, but you can't digest them. But bacteria can digest them, and they, mm-hmm. they produce metabolites that have dramatic effects on health, such as reduction in, de- in depression, suicidal thoughts, better sleep, uh, protection from uh, colon cancer, reduction in blood sugar, reduction in insulin, reduction in triglycerides. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary with the power of about one of, one of the really, I'll tell you something really cool we're doing now. This is, this is a much more advanced conversation. So okay. someone new to the wheat or undocumented conversation uh, or even your conversation should not do this right off, but I, I make you aware of it. We're doing this thing with uh, uh, a specific bacterial strain called Lactobacillus reuteri ATCCPTA six four seven five. It's a mouthful. Catchy, catchy name. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very specific strain because strain specificity in probiotics is very, very important. Okay. Uh, to illustrate, you and I have E. coli right in our colons, but what if the cabbage that was grown in the Central Valley of California that was contaminated by cow manure has a different strain of E. coli, and you ingest, you get diarrhea and die. Mm-hmm. So same species, different strains. So strain specificity is very, very important when it comes to probiotic bacteria. So we take a very specific strain of Lactobacillus reuteri, ATCCPTA6475. And if you take as a probiotic, and it's only provided by one company, that strain, BioGaia, B-I-O-G-A-I-A from Sweden. And they, they give it to it a tablet in very low counts, 100 million CFUs. And most people who take this, nothing happens. So what we've been doing the last three months or so is called is making yogurt, dairy or non-dairy, coconut milk works too, mm-hmm. make yogurt in the presence of prebiotic fibers. This is my wheat belly blog on Dr. Blog, by the way, the whole recipe. And you, by the way, you get the most delicious yogurt you've ever had. It's thick like cream cheese. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. It's high fat because we want fat. No, never low fat, no, no skim, none of that nonsense. I use half and half organic, half and half, or even cream or coconut milk, and you, you do this in the presence of inulin, and you make yogurt, and people take this, and it's kind of a super probiotic. It's only one strain. It's not a full program for bowel health, but say what happens. Skin thickness increases dramatically. Wow. Collagen deposition. Within three weeks, we've had oodles of ladies say their wrinkles are now gone. They don't get bruising, like uh, the older people, the old, older ladies get purpura gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a woman who was taking prednisone. You could see all the veins in her chest because it's thinner skin out. It grew skin, wow. uh, uh, got thicker. Testosterone goes sky high in men back to youthful values. Bone density increases dramatically. Visceral fat is lost in an accelerated way. Muscle is restored to more youthful proportions. Uh, facial appearance changes. 
uh, you know, those weekly meetings I have in my uh, undoctored inner circle, virtual meetups, we call them. Right. Meeting together like this. And I, I look forward to those because a lot of the ladies in particular look different week to week. That's because they look and they, so we are, we are turning the clock back even further. So uh, uh, it's one of the more recent uh, lessons learned from this, this whole experience in cultivating bowel flora that you can, I mean, so, so what we're doing is we're reversing osteoporosis or contributing to reversing osteoporosis. We're reversing um, declining hormones. People are happier. They're more engaged in their relationships because it's oxytocin, right? The hormone of love. It improves your libido and sex life. Um, uh, accelerates weight loss and muscle gain. And uh, the part that ladies love, it, it, it is the most powerful tool I've ever come across for increased skin health. And it's not slow. You know, one of the things ladies can do for skin health is take collagen hydrolysates, right? Mm -hmm. um, or, or gelatin. And it works, but it's really, really slow. Right, right. Years, and then you achieve just a little tiny bit. It's incremental. I think it's a good thing to do, whether you get it from bone broths and soups, or eating the skin of chicken and fish, or taking collagen hydrolysates. This, cultivating lactobacillus roideri uh, by amplifying counts uh, in, in yogurt, is far more powerful. It's not incremental, it's exponential. It's a huge, anyway, one of the greatest insights to come along in a long time in this, uh, in our uh, evolving bowel flora. That's uh, so cool. Um, because I, I, I don't need to go down this wormhole and I don't want to get sued, but there's an injectable that um, a lot of people use and it's supposed to be, you know, very safe if you ask your doctor, even though you have to sign off. Um, and, and, you know, but it, if you Google that injectable, and say it ruined my life or made me sick. There's thousands of people, unfortunately, who had an underlying maybe autoimmune condition or something. And then that was enough to kind of tipping point them over into um, years of sickness. So I love natural things that actually are effective because that's hard. Um, you, you look at the before and afters of this injectable and go, wow, I want that. But I but the risk, I don't know, you know, so to actually find things that are benefiting you, that will make you tremendously healthier and it'll show up on your face. I mean, that's, that's brilliant, right? I mean, that's all you, that's, that's what we're all after. Um, you know, most of the things you're talking about, Charlene, they may not be free, but they're damn close to free. Yeah. You know, you can buy a, a year's worth of vitamin D pretty much at Costco or Sam's Club for about 10 bucks. So it's not free, but it's not $3,000 a month biological drug mm -hmm. that can cause liver failure and kill you. So, so the things we're talking about are very benign, are consistent with, uh, with human life and adaptation, uh, and are simply improvements over and above uh, the way things are done in modern life. So, yeah. uh, and there's also, by the way, uh, of all the things I mentioned that we do, wheat grain sugar elimination, fish oil, omega-3s, iodine, thyroid optimization, cultivation of bowel flora, magnesium. Um, there's a peculiar, I, 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 and for reasons I don't fully understand, there's a very powerful synergy among those six things. I don't know why. Uh, you put all those things together, I call it two plus two equals 11 effect. Mm -hmm. It's, it's it, the, the effects it yields are far greater than you'd ever believe they would be uh, in isolation. So uh, I, I urge people when they do these things, do them all. And you can do more. You can do this thing with lactobacillus roideri for skin health. You can do other things too. 
you can take, you know, curcumin, turmeric, and ashwagandha. You can do that too. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but ashwagandha does not, I'm not picking on ashwagandha, but ashwagandha as an example does not serve an intrinsic human need. All the things that you and I are talking about serve an intrinsic human need. The diet, for instance, all we're really doing with the diet is going back to the way humans ate for the first 99.6% of our time on this planet. We did not consume grains until recently. And when we did, that's when a lot of these diseases showed up, a lot of these common diseases. And, and, and I heard you talking about, because a lot of people go, well, what's the difference between uh, the, the Wheat Belly book and like say paleo? And I mean, you, you could say it better than I, but there's, there, there's some things that are similar, right? And then there's yeah, additions. The diets overlap probably 90%. As you know, the paleo community suffers from this. Uh, what is paleo depends on who you ask. Mm-hmm. It's different from every sort. Yeah, it's gotten quite trendy and sort of, yeah, it's it's gotten a little diluted as some some people complain. And diet's yeah. very powerful. Yeah. But your health efforts should not end at diet. I mean, could you be a couch potato, never get vitamin D, never cultivate bowel flora, just eat the right food? I mean, you would get healthier, but you wouldn't be as healthy as you could be. Mm-hmm. So what I'm advocating is not just a diet. Uh, uh, we're coming at it a little differently also. The paleo people uh, are not very good about controlling carbohydrates. That's why you see inclusion of such silly things like tapioca flour, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. Tapioca flour is terrible. It's one of the ingredients in gluten-free foods. And as you know, gluten-free foods are horrible. No one should hear grain elimination as a gluten-free message. It's not People often say, oh, Davis is that gluten-free guy. No, 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 no. Gluten-free foods are horrible. Don't say anything about gluten-free cookies, Dr. Davis. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I should point out, Charlene, and I, you know this, that you can, you can make cookies mm-hmm. and pizza and cheesecake very easily. We just choose different ingredients. We mm-hmm. don't use wheat flour, for instance, or cornstarch yeah. or sugar. We'll use, for instance, uh, almond flour, coconut flour. Mm-hmm. So or those are flour. those are okay. I mean, those are acceptable flours to use. Those are very benign. And you okay. can make a delicious, say, chocolate chip cookie yeah. or cheesecake or pizza or whatever. Because, you know, I learned this lesson years ago that if you just tell people to eat the right foods, uh, they'll go off program. Yeah, we have no idea. At Christmas, yeah. on holidays, entertaining friends yeah. with kids and grandkids. So I, I, I showed people how to make those familiar foods with benign ingredients. And mm-hmm. that keeps people on track. We, I mean, we live in a great age where it's... I mean, could you imagine, I mean, 20 years ago trying to source all this stuff? It's so easy now. I mean, it takes some discipline and, and a willingness to change, but... It's, it's all here. Um, I, I mean, what do you think about, do you think that the gluten-free craze kind of set us back? It's like, I mean, I'm guilty of it. You know, I was like, oh, I'm not going to eat gluten. And then I'm eating a package of cookies, uh, no exaggeration. <laughs> so and I, I hope, I don't think I'm the only one, you know, you, you kind of brainwash yourself a little bit on this. Yeah, I, I, it really, it's a big mistake to go gluten-free there are people who should be free of foods that contain gluten. Absolutely. Uh-huh. The problem, as you know, is there are uh, either ignorant or unscrupulous food manufacturers who will make uh, replacement foods using four ingre- one, of, one or more f- of four ingredients. That is cornstarch, rice flour, tapioca starch, or potato flour. And those, so one of the problems we haven't talked about with 
uh, with wheat and grains is that they raise blood sugar higher than even table sugar. Really? That's, that's because of the highly digestible form of carbohydrate in grains called amylopectin A. <clears throat> wow. Uh, so very few foods <clears throat> raise blood sugar or have a higher glycemic index than, say, wheat. So what's the short list of foods mm -hmm. that raises blood sugar higher than wheat? <clears throat> Corn starch, rice flour, tapco starch, potato flour. <laughs> it's almost like a cruel joke, Charlene, that they chose four ingredients that were worse from a blood sugar stance. So people who go gluten-free <clears throat> very commonly gain weight, become <clears throat> type 2 diabetics, and over longer periods of time, hypertension, high triglycerides, fatty liver, uh, um, and a whole bunch of other problems. Uh, uh, infertility is in there. So um, uh, gluten-free foods are horrible. I once was, con uh, I was consulted by a big food manufacturer. They, they, they make gluten-free foods. They were making money hand over fist because they were, it was booming, partly because of me inadvertently. And he said, hey, listen, can I swear on your show? Yo, sure. <laughs> like, I'm go for it. This is, this is a big shot in the food industry. Okay. He says, listen to me. He says, uh, uh, we're growing, uh, we grew 300% in the last year in gluten-free, which is un unbelievable, right? Right, we, right. That kind of growth. He says, but we know, we all, listen, I play golf with the CEO of this other company and CFO of that company, the, the big companies. He says, we all know gluten-free is shit. Mm. This is the number one manufacturer, okay? I can't tell you who it is because I had to sign an agreement. Yeah. He says, we all know gluten-free is shit. Just kind of a marketing scam, right? Yes. But we want you, meaning me, to help us craft foods that are less harmful. Well, I said, why don't we make foods that are healthy, not just less harmful? He says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Our business is made on razor-thin margins, but high volume. So we can't use good ingredients. We have to use cheap commodity ingredients. Well, we, I never uh, gave many good ideas on how to do that. So right. they don't do that. But the gluten-free industry themselves know they are doing a grave disservice to the public. So once again, all you and I are trying to do is get the real story out. Don't let industry um, trick people into buying things, whether, whether it's a statin drug or gluten-free bread, loaf of bread. We're just trying to tell people, no, 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 think this through. Don't buy those gluten-free products because they're horrible. Okay. I mean. And you won't be deprived. You can, you can have, yeah. you can do all those things. Just right, right, right. And, and so, and you're sharing a lot of recipes and, and different things. Um, and, and I'm sure people who read your book or whatever on the blogs are sharing different ways to make things as well. Um, in the yeah, communities. You know, <clears throat> and that's where there, there is overlap in some of the paleo uh, community and some of the mm -hmm. low fat, or I'm sorry, the uh, low carb, Atkins, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of sharing recipes in those worlds uh, uh, with mine as well. So uh, there's no shortage of recipes. And, and you know, um, if you're listening, you know, when, when I approached Dr. Davis to, um, you know, to be interviewed, <laughs> he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a fertility expert. Obviously, I've written this. But I mean, kind of the takeaway is, I mean, a lot of people are coming to our podcast because they're having fertility challenges, but what's kind of underneath those fertility challenges? I mean, what's the foundation of our lives? It's nutrition and food. And um, like, like he said, you, I, I was listening to you on another interview and you're saying without 
talking about specific conditions because how in the world would you? Oh, you have PCOS or endometriosis or, or um, type 2 diabetes or you're going to do this specific things. You have foundational things that you're asking people to do and see what happens with your health from that standpoint. If you just, and let's talk about them again, eliminate grains, right? Um, prol proliferate the bowel flora, help me mm -hmm. out here. I, is, is the essential supplements that you're discussing? Because I wanted to ask you about that. We were talking about uh, iodine and the, um, what, what, what were some of the other ones that you were saying? Oh, the, of course, the omega-3s mm -hmm. that are so Optimize, important. Uh, thyroid status, magnesium. Yeah, you know, but uh, the, the dominant effect that seems to restore fertility and um, normalize hormones remains wheat, grain, and sugar elimination. That, that alone, because grains are uh, uh, enormously disruptive over um, hormones. They disrupt hormones. So guys, for instance, uh, who consume grains, uh, grow visceral fat, what I call a wheat belly, of course. Well, you know, visceral fat produces the, the enzyme aromatase. And in a male, it converts testosterone to estrogen, to estradiol. Mm -hmm. So these guys who grow their tummy fat from consuming grains and sugars have low testosterone, high estrogen, and one of the digestive byproducts of the gliadin protein of wheat is called the A5 pentapeptide. It's five amino acid peptide. It's a very potent uh, uh, provoker of prolactin, pituitary prolactin, prolactation. Mm -hmm. So a very common accompaniment of visceral fat from grain and sugar consumption is enlarged breasts, man boobs. So man boobs, very, and you see it everywhere. Go to the mall, right. left and right. I, and, and I, I can find man boobs within 300 feet of my house. It's very cool. It's everywhere. We're uh, not going to say what state you're in, but it's a very popular <laughs> trend there in that state. Uh, now, likewise in females, mm -hmm. it makes their breasts larger, which mm -hmm. some ladies like. Yeah. And they don't like to hear that their breath, they, most ladies enjoy about a breast size uh, reduction, one cup reduction in size, but that's because they had excess stimulation of breast tissue, which is a breast cancer risk, by the way. Mm -hmm. So the drop in abnormal levels of estrogen in males as well as in females, and the, the removal of A5 pentapeptide prolactin stimulation uh, causes breasts to normalize in size, and that thereby expose you less breast cancer risk. Uh, insulin resistance, of course, is a very big factor in infertility. Uh, so the conventional answer is metformin and mm -hmm. other drugs. Mm -hmm. Why not just get rid of the foods that cause insulin resistance, the amylopectin A of grains and sugars? And people do that, and insulin resistance normalizes. And so uh, I've had oodles of lady with, ladies with polycystic ovarian syndrome uh, that are now mothers. Not from fertility drugs, not from in vitro fertilization, mm -hmm. but from doing these basic things. And you know, there's nothing lost, Charlene. You know, if you want to do get an individual fertilization, you better save up for a long time. Mm -hmm. And as you know, it often doesn't work. Doing and, this is virtually mm -hmm. free. Yeah. And uh, even if you didn't get fertile, you reverse diabetes, prediabetes, hypertension, all those other health issues. I mean, you might be healthy <laughs> in all other ways, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I'll tell you, I've lost count of the number of uh, infertile uh, women who've become moms now. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, what we educate is if there is a reason that you need IVF, there's some anatomical abnormality where getting pregnant naturally is virtually impossible. You still um, really need to change the, that your foundational health um, because that egg and sperm um, are developing over a three or four month period that it, it, it actually doubles the success rate of IVF when you, when you really look at the nutrition or what we call the preconception period, you know, um, proper supplements are taken and detoxing and, you know, like you say, proliferate the bowel flora, changing the diet, taking out the grain. So um, we're also sharing that message. Um, That's but, great. That's great. Um, yeah. Um, gosh, I, let me, let me make sure, cause we've covered so much. Well, you know, I wanted to break, um, bring up the wild naked and unwashed because, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's fun to say it sounds like some reality show. I think Nat Geo had some variation of that, but what do you, what do you mean by that? All we're really doing, Charlene, is reverting back to the way life was supposed to have been all along. So humans not supposed to eat the seeds of grasses, grains, and we did not for, you know, the first uh, uh, two million years of our time on this planet. We, we turned to the seeds of grass in desperation uh, when there was nothing else um, several thousand years ago. Vitamin D. We're supposed to run naked or semi-naked in a tropical or subtropical climate, exposed lots of surface area to the sun. We're supposed to consume liver. But most modern people can't do those things or don't want to do those things. Even in California, you really can. You wear clothes, you work indoors, and we lose the ability to activate vitamin D in the skin as we age. So we take vitamin D. Uh, we supplement magnesium because water is now filtered and all magnesium is removed. Mass-produced produce is deficient in magnesium, and prior grain consumption binds 60% of all the magnesium in your, in your bowel and you poop it out. So each and every component of this program simply addresses an intrinsic human need. So that's why I call it wild, naked, unwashed. It's just kind of going back to the way life was supposed to have been. You're not supposed to use hand sanitizers. You're not supposed to get uh, antibiotic residues and herbicides in your food. You're not supposed to get BT toxin glyphosate in your, in your, um, in your food, as we do now. And so it's, it's just going back to the way, because, you know, if, if we were to visit the Hadza, in Tanzania mm -hmm. or the Matzas in Peru or one of the very few remaining uh, groups of people who live true hunter-gatherer lives, don't take antibiotics, don't eat grains, um, uh, kill their next meal, dig into dirt for roots and tubers, etc. They have no type 2 diabetes, virtually no heart disease. Cancer is extremely unusual. There's almost no schizophrenia or depression. There's no skin rashes. No one has dandruff or acne. There's no seborrhea. There's no ulcerative colitis. They have other problems. They have injury and infection like dengue fever and malaria, but they don't have any of the diseases of civilization. So I think there's a very powerful lesson in that. They have full mouths of teeth with very little tooth decay, even late in life in their 60s and 70s. And many of these populations live to their to old age, just like we do but they don't brush their teeth. They don't use dental floss. There's no fluoridated water. There's no fluoride toothpaste. And, uh, uh, you know, their, their notion of dental uh, hygiene is a, is a twig. <laughs> right. To pick some wild boar out from between their teeth. 
yet they have full mouths of straight teeth for a lifetime. We, of course, have to, before we had things like dental floss and toothpaste, uh, 16 to 49% of all tooth would show rot, tooth loss, decay, cavities, etc. So that all began, by the way, when humans first adopted the consumption of the seeds of grasses. There's a very distinct change in human health that the anthropologists determined was due to grain consumption that occurred mm. right as soon as we started to consume wheat, rice, corn, and millet. I was reading an article recently and dentists were saying that children now have more tooth decay than ever before, even though they're taught to brush and floss and the fluoridated rinses and, and everything else that um, more children are having root canals, uh, you know, surgically removed teeth. It's, I mean, it's definitely, it's our diet. It's so, and, and unfortunately our kids, gosh. They, you think the dentists the would be, you think the dentists would be champions because the, the the data are clear grains and sugars cause tooth decay uh, I mean this has been established they don't talk about grains I mean they you know they're on to the sugar train right but they don't, they don't really talk about grains at all right yeah but it's it's crystal clear that grain consumption um, is a major cause for tooth decay so one of the great benefits of being grain free, um, and not falling for the gluten-free nonsense, is um, uh, dental plaque doesn't accumulate anymore. It's very uncommon to have dental plaque anymore. And, and nobody needs their cavities drilled or don't develop cavities or abscesses or anything. Uh, by the way, in those primitive cultures, that when they do get exposed to Western, Westernized foods, like you know, uh, baked foods, breads, beer, et cetera, um, they develop extravagant type 2 diabetes, tooth decay, and autoimmune diseases. And the number one cause for suicide in those primitive cultures, once they adopt a Western uh, diet, mm -hmm. the cause for suicide is tooth abscess. Mm, wow. So, I mean, it's clear as day mm -hmm. that grain consumption and sugar consumption are extravagant cause for tooth decay. And I, I'm, I'm hoping at dentists at some point... Uh, you know, the veterinarians are doing a better job than the, than the doctors and dentists are. That's why you see all these, you know, blue buffalo, grain-free dog food. Yeah, I know. I look at dog food these days. I'm like, this is probably better than about 85% of us eat. It's, <laughs> That's it's, right. it's just pure food. I mean, that these high-end dog foods that are coming out. Um, well, one last question. I mean, just to play kind of devil's advocate, I mean, you're talking about these primitive cultures and you're talking about these tribal cultures, then people could go, yeah, but how long do these people live? I mean, you know, life expectancy. Um, well, if you ask the anthropologists, it, it varies, of course, with yeah. climate, time of what, when we're talking about, but there's more than ample evidence that people in primitive cultures lived in their 50s, 60s, 70s and onwards. Mm -hmm. There's lots of childhood mortality that throws off the, the, the average length of life. Right, right. You, that's a different story. Of course, that's a whole different bunch of questions. But if you factor out uh, early child death, uh, longevity is uh, uh, close to that in, in modern cultures. And of course, longevity is now reversing, uh, certainly in the U.S., um, for a variety of reasons, in, including, I, I think, uh, what's happened to grains due to agribusness, mm -hmm. uh, the, change, the more recent changes introduced by agribusiness, as well as the opioid crisis, the opioid crisis. Yeah. Um, so, but it's primitive cultures do live 
to uh, old age. Okay, and then give us some resources. Um, okay, so your your book, I know it's it's going to be on Amazon and all the major booksellers, correct? Um, right. Tell us the title again, and then the link to uh, your blog. That is is the the Undoctored blog is active now, correct? Because I, I know yes. you mentioned. Uh -huh. Okay, so let, give us some give, give us some resources of all the different ways that we can find you. The Undoctored blog, the Undoctored Inner Circle, Undoctored Facebook page, Undoctored book, of course, Wheat Belly, the original Wheat Belly that tells us the history of how this all came to be and what agribusiness did to wheat. There's Wheat Belly Total Health, which is kind of a health program based on the Wheat Belly lifestyle. There are two cookbooks. There's a Wheat Belly 10-Day Grain Detox for people who say, I read your books. I still don't know what to do. So I kind of, quick and easy, here's how to do it, Wheat Belly 10-Day Grain Detox. Uh, Wheat Belly blog, Wheat Belly Facebook page. People who do the detox can also join us on a private Facebook page. Uh, so there's, it's, it's all, it's, it's like sand in your bathing suits everywhere. That's so cool. I, I just loved when um, people come in and say, I really need to lose weight and I'm struggling. I mean, it's, it's one of the most complex kind of situations because there's emotional factors involved things. And I mean, it's not so easy as like, you're not moving enough and you need to eat loaf. You know, I mean, that's not the conversation, but that I could just hand them the wheat belly book. They become educated. And then they would come back to me and go, I read that book and I lost 15 pounds or however many pounds that they needed to lose. And um, it's just so satisfying. And it was so easy on my side. I didn't have to, oh, well, let's keep a food journal. I mean, there were so many, you know, things before. <laughs> let's keep a food journal and let's analyze it together. And let's talk about emotional factors. It's like, you know, let's get to foundational things. And, um, and from there, they're so motivated. Uh, it's just amazing. They're like, okay, I get it now. Um, so this is so cool. Thank you so much. Oh, it was great interviewing you. I'm so excited for your book to come out and uh, I'll contact you when this is published and live. Um, but it was a real honor. But thank you, Charlene. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye-bye. By the way, by the way. Yeah, yeah. The, the book is, has been out since last year on Doctors. So when you go back and edit. <laughs> it has? I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah. I thought it was coming out this May. No, uh, May 2017. Oh my God. You don't hear much about it as much as I, I had hoped. So even though I got on Dr. Oz four times with Wheat Belly, CBS This Morning, yeah. all that stuff, uh, Big Pharma put a stop. It's not just me, by the way. It's all of us. If, if you Let's say you want to go on um, TV, national TV, right. and talk about how natural means restore fertility. They don't want you. They won't let you on TV, right? Because you're you're uh, uh, threatening their biggest advertiser now. So, so in effect, Charlene, Big Pharma has purchased the allegiance of big media. So that's I really mean that. It's so important what you're doing. Yeah, you know, your listeners, blogging, Facebook, all that stuff is so important now because even big media doesn't want to talk about the real issues. I mean, it's just, it's horrifying. No, I could see with this book, they are like, I don't think so. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just going to take an army of us out there who are just spreading the word. Okay, well, yep. yeah, thank you. Okay. Okay, Charlie. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Take All care. right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Fertility Hour. For being one of our loyal listeners, 
we would like to give you free access to a special report called Restore Your Fertility Naturally. Inside, you'll learn about an eight-step all-natural process that's helped hundreds of couples conceive. This is one of our most popular reports, and you can get free access by going to fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Again, that's fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Go there now, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Fertility Hour.